0: So just in case any of you haven't seen the best film of the 90s, that was a scene from Pretty Woman. Hands up if you've seen it. Yeah, everyone over 30. (laughs) Everyone else wasn't born. Um, And in that uh, scene, Julia Roberts, who's um, playing the part of a prostitute, is walking down Red Red Air Drive, one of the world's most exclusive luxury destinations in LA. Um, I absolutely love that movie and I've seen it so many times. So um, about 18 months ago when I had the chance to go to California, it was on my to-do list to go to Rodeo Drive. I visited lots of places in LA, lots of iconic places, Muscle Beach, which is called Muscle Beach because literally there's just loads of men working out the whole time. That is not where I went. I went because it's iconic. Um, I, <laughs> I went to Beverly Hills. Um, I walked down Rodeo Drive, which is, Super posh, I saw the Hollywood sign. Um, And I stayed with some friends in a place called Pacific Palisades, uh, which apparently is where the film stars live after they've had children, Um, because that's got the good schools. Um, So my host, who was a 70 year old woman, said that she's nearly run over Tom Hanks twice. Mm That's like really unlucky, isn't it? Um, and she said Ben Affleck lives just up the road from her, and Hilary Swank lives just down the road from her. And she used to be in a church small group with Chris Kardashian many years ago. Yeah, true story. That's my claim to fame now. And I stayed in this uh, little house, um, that little yellow house there, which was just a bungalow. It only had two bedrooms, little kitchen, um, really nice little place. It was an old couple that lived there. And it's worth £3.2 million because of the location. It's absolutely bonkers. I've never really thought of a city or a location as having, like, a personality. But I definitely felt that when I was in L.A. There was, like, this sense of ego in the city. And it wasn't, like, the people that I was staying with. I don't mean my hosts. They were just lovely. But it was more like the city had an ego. L.A. had an ego. It had this kind of inflated sense of importance. And I guess because lots of famous people live there and it features in lots of movies like La La Land and Clueless. But actually, fame doesn't really mean important, does it? And it's not a city that influences world politics or changing anything. It's just a city. And in Revelation 2, Jesus writes a letter to a city that reminds me of L.A. It's a city called Thyatira, which is in a- Asia Minor at the time. And it's now in Turkey. It's a Turkish city. And it had a sense of importance about it because it was the headquarters for lots of guilds, uh, which are like unions. So there was a potter's guild, a weaver's guild, there was a robe maker's guild, and they were all based there. It was the center of the dyeing industry. So it had lots of like important things. um, But actually, it was pretty insignificant. Um, Out of all the cities that Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation, it was the smallest and it was the most unimportant city. didn't really carry any weight at the time. And the only other time in the Bible that we hear of Thyatira is in Acts 16, where there's just a small mention of a lady called Lydia who sold purple cloth, and she was Paul's first convert in Europe, and we're told that she was from Thyatira. That's the only other time it's mentioned. So it's really interesting that this seemingly most insignificant church, of all the seven churches, Jesus had the most to say to them. So these letters in Revelation can give us great insight into uh, what Jesus thought of the early churches, what he commended them for, but also what he challenged them on. And then we can have a look at us as G2, whether you're a regular, whether you're a visitor, you're welcome to ask some questions about what we can be commended on and what things we can be challenged on. And I think I'd be right in saying that one of the most common messages we hear about Jesus is that Jesus loves us. That is so true. Jesus loves us and he came to earth for us and he died for us and his love is bigger than we could ever imagine, and his forgiveness is wider than we can contemplate. However, what's really clear in the New Testament is that Jesus isn't just a nice person who only ever says nice things to make people feel nice. He is a living God, and he loves his people, yes, but he's, and he's an encourager, he's an affirmer, but he's not scared to speak the truth and he will call out what needs to be called out. And this image of Jesus as a truth speaker can sometimes present problems for us if we're not careful. So last February, we did a series on sex and relationships, and Christians shared our heart as a church to be a church that is radically inclusive and has a challenging gospel message. And when we read this letter today to the Church of Thyatira, we are going to read something that is challenging. And it is important that we wrestle with it. But it is in the context of us being radically inclusive. So I genuinely mean it when I say that you are all welcome here, each of you. Whatever you believe, whatever you've done, Whatever your history is, whatever's going on, you are welcome to engage in this community and grapple with the scripture and ask questions and figure stuff out. I definitely don't have all the answers, but I hope to provoke some questions today. And so I just invite you to lean in, to open your ears and open your hearts. I invite you to step into more of what God has got for you. And I invite the Holy Spirit to work amongst us. So let's have a look at what Jesus writes to this church in Thyatira. If you want to follow it in your own Bible or in your phone Bible, then we're looking at Revelation 2, verse 18 to 29. So he starts by saying, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So Jesus starts by introducing himself in three different ways in that short little bit of scripture. First of all, he says that he's the son of God. And this is really important because Thyatira was the center of the worship of the god Apollos. And in ancient Greek mythology, Apollos was the son of Zeus. And Zeus was known as the god of all the gods, like the king god. And so many people considered Apollos as the son of God because he's the son of Zeus. So we know that Jesus is the son of God. We know that now, but it's really important that Jesus starts the message there because he's speaking into that culture. He's reminding them who is really the son of God. He says his eyes are like blazing fire. So he's got like a penetrating vision. He sees all. Nothing can be hidden from him. Imagine his um, eyes, like, with a blazing firiness about them. And it's a fire that imparts love, but it's also a fire that will destroy anything that hinders love. And finally, he says, his feet are like burnished bronze. And the word burnished speaks of majesty, of glory, of power, and of strength. And they would have been glowing brightly, like, as if they've been in a furnace. And bronze is a symbol of judgment against sin. So Jesus' um, feet here, made out of bronze, speak of his commitment to confront persistent immorality with judgment. So I think we can all agree this is a strong start from Jesus. To say that he's the son of God with eyes like blazing fire and feet like burnished bronze. He's gone in really strong. He's set out. This is going to be hardcore. Get ready. And then what comes next is what I call a criticism burger. So, last week, Christian called it a a praise sandwich when he talked about the letter to Ephesus. But I like burgers more than sandwiches. So... You've got the bottom bit of the bun, which is like um, positive and warm and affirming. And then you've got the burger, which is the feedback, the challenging stuff. And then you finish with encouragement. Yeah, Anyone that manages anyone knows this is how you give feedback, right? So Jesus goes on to say, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So, Jesus names what he sees in Thyatira. The people there are doing more than they used to. This is good. They've improved. They are loving. They are faithful. They serve each other. There's good stuff going on in this church. It's growing, and Jesus can see what they're doing. So, this is a really, really good start for the church in Thyatira. Then he carries on. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Okay, so apparently there's a false prophetess and she's been leading people in the church, not all the people, some people, into compromise, shall we say. And some members of the church have been engaging in sexual immorality and dabbling in idolatry, and it's not ideal. And what's worse is that the leaders of this church have been tolerating her. They're accepting it instead of challenging it. Now, it is possible that Jezebel is her real name, But it was more likely that this is kind of like a metaphorical reference to the Jezebel of the Old Testament in the story of Elijah. Um, And in that story, Jezebel was an idolatrous woman. She was opposed to God's ways. She was leading people astray. So I think that Jesus is being a little bit sarcastic here. He's kind of giving her a nickname. Her name probably isn't Jezebel, but she is a Jezebel. She's like that Jezebel from the old times. And maybe they haven't spotted that yet. And rather than rebuke uh, this false teacher and send her out of the church, the leaders in Thyatira have just been allowing her to carry on. Jesus doesn't really mince his words here, does he? He says he will cast her out on a bed of suffering. And anyone who has slept with her outside of marriage will also suffer intensely. Unless they repent. This is key. There is still an opportunity for them to repent. He is strong on truth, and he is strong on grace. Jesus is strong on truth, and he's also strong on grace. And it's very clear that some people in this church were not following the way of Jesus, but they've got a chance to change. He's offering them a chance. Now, it's not true for Jezebel. She's had her chance. Jesus has already given her plenty of time to repent, and she's not taken it. So he is going to bring judgment and punishment, and that's a really strong warning for them. So he carries on. Now, I say to the rest of you, because not everyone's involved, in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over all the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we've come to the top of our burger now, the top half of the bun. And Jesus says, hold on to good deeds. Hold on to love. Hold on to faith, hold on to your service, hold on to your perseverance, hold on to doing increasingly more than you did at first, hold on to the good, keep yourself pure and hold on and the prize is authority over all the nations and the prize is the morning star which is Jesus himself, the prize is Jesus. Hold on and remain pure, and you will know Jesus personally. You will have a relationship with him. But if you continue to sin, this sin will come between you and Jesus and leave you broken. So when we think about the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, we see lots of different examples of his teaching. So we see the words of Jesus, don't we? We love the words of Jesus. He, Jesus stands up for the broken, and he stands up for the vulnerable. He says, he who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And he gives dignity to the woman who's been caught in adultery. He stands up against the Pharisees, and he says, woe to you who oppress the poor, and woe to you for whom everything is just a public spectacle. The words of Jesus are amazing, and we see the works of Jesus. We love the works. We love the social justice drive that is in the kingdom of Jesus. He feeds the hungry and he clothes the poor and he draws orphans and widows in. And every um, like November time, we do Beazum Sunday here at GT when we make hampers for people that live just a few streets away and that need our help. And that is the social justice element of Jesus. That's the works of Jesus. And even in his letter to Thyatira, Jesus says, I see your deeds. I see your love, your faith, your perseverance. He's talking about the works of his people. They're service people. They show their love through service. We love the works of Jesus. And we love the wonders of Jesus, the healings, the supernatural, the miracles, the raising of the dead. We love all that stuff and we want more of that stuff. And in this letter to Thyatira, Jesus says, He will give authority. That means He will give Himself, He will give power and authority so that we can do the wonders. So we love the words, and we love the works, and we love the wonders. And then there's the way of the kingdom, and I'm just not sure that we're always so keen on that. You know, like the moral teaching, when Jesus teaches about sexual purity, and he teaches about forgiveness and how many times to forgive, and about actually loving your neighbor, which really means loving the person who's your enemy. He teaches about what marriage looks like and he teaches about what other relationships look like and what prayer looks like. And sometimes I feel like, I know this is true for me, well, yeah, I love the words and I love the works and I love the wonders, but the way, that's just a bit difficult. That's just a bit challenging. I'm just not sure about that. But the thing is, if we want the words and the works and the wonders of the kingdom then we've got to follow the way of the kingdom. There is a way to live. There is a pathway to follow. You can't pick and choose which bits of Jesus we want to buy into. We've got to be all in. So, yeah, Jesus leads us in a way that includes how we speak about other people and how we strive for success and what we do with our money and our time. He's not only interested in our sex lives, however... Jesus speaks to the church in Thyatira about sexual immorality. He speaks about this woman, Jezebel. I don't think we have any Jezebels amongst us, literally or metaphorically. But the question for us is, what is the Jezebel of 2020? What is the thing that's trying to mislead us into sexual immorality? Jesus says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So what do we tolerate that might be leading us out of the way of the kingdom? So there's this program on Channel 4 called Naked Attraction. Has anyone heard of it? You can admit it's okay. It's okay if you've watched it. Okay, so brief overview is that it's similar to any other dating show. Um, So you've got someone who's there to do the picking, and then you've got contestants who want to be picked to go on a date. Except on this show, they are competing with their naked bodies. This is on Channel 4, full viewing. I'm not recommending it. Each contestant is standing in a colored box like this, and the front of the box rises to reveal the naked people, and it does it in stages. So the picker has a good look at half of a naked body and then eliminates one contestant just based on that, based basically on their genitals. And then the screen rises again, so they see a little bit more, and then someone else is eliminated. And then finally, the person doing the picking also gets naked and makes their final choice for a date and the two naked people then hug and walk off to then get their clothes on and go on their date. Now, I watched one of these episodes for research, and the lady (laughs) doing the picking, it was her third time on the show. So she'd been on twice as a naked person and hadn't got selected, so now she was there to do the choosing. And as the screen lifted, we could see that she had a choice of two men, two women and a couple so she could go on a date with a couple and so finally she chose one of the guys and they went out for a date and within about five minutes it became clear that he didn't fancy her at all he was pretty upfront about that he was like good at communicating that and she was devastated because she actually thought this was going to find her a relationship Now, this is only one example, and you might not have even seen this show, so that's not been leading you astray. But there are other things in our lives. There are many messages that we receive daily about sexuality, about sexual practice, about nakedness. And this particular show is designed to shock. And I think most people I know wouldn't go on it, and most people don't think that's going to be the best way of finding love. But what I think it does do is it stretches our view of what normal is. It moves the goalposts of what is acceptable. Now, I don't want to sound old, but the clothes that Julia Roberts was wearing in that scene that we watched was shocking in 1990. I wouldn't be shocked if someone wore that to church today in the summer. I don't think anyone would think twice. In 1990, that was the close of a prostitute, and it shocked us when we saw it. Our view of sexual immorality can so easily get stretched by society, by culture, by the world, if we let it, if we tolerate it. So... We watch shows like Naked Attraction or other shows. And then maybe we think that having sex with a long-term boyfriend isn't really in the same box as that, so it's okay. And there's this cultural view of you do you and I'll do me, and it opposes Jesus' teaching because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't say you do you, hun. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one way to have a relationship with God and that is through Jesus. Sex that isn't in a marriage is sexual immorality and I'm really scared of sounding judgmental when I say that but honestly I'm not. Jesus is the judge. This passage is about that. He says he will bring judgment, and it's got nothing to do with me, what you've done, what you're doing. It has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with Jesus. We are held to account for our actions. And I've been mentoring and leading young adults for about 10 years now, and several times I've had people come up to me and say they've had a one-night stand or they went too far with their boyfriend. And I've also journeyed with more than one married friend, dealing with a partner who's had an affair. And when they share that with me, I don't sit in judgment, but instead my heart breaks for them. And it's not because I think they've ruined their relationship with Jesus, because I don't think they have. And I don't think it's because they've given away something they can't get back. But it's because I think they are worth so much more than that. We are worth so much more than a one-night stand or the short-lived fun of sex with friends. My heart breaks for people when they devalue one another. For couples who love each other, yes, but get distracted by a few minutes of sexual gratification, which leaves a bigger longing for love. I cry for people who are lured into the worldview that our identity comes from our sex life or our identity is rooted in our sexual preference. Because our identity is rooted in Jesus alone. And sometimes when we hear a talk like this, we kind of get the message that sex is bad, and it isn't. It's great, but it's great when it's between two people who are committed to love each other forever. And they've made that commitment in front of God. So if Jesus wrote you a letter using this burger format, what would it say? What would he commend you for? Would it be for your daily Bible reading or your prayer life? Would it be for living an example to your family, your colleagues, your housemates? Would he commend you for your service or your deeds? And what would he challenge you on? What are you tolerating that you could be challenging Are you on board with Jesus' words and his works and his wonders, but not totally on board with his ways, with a challenging message that he teaches? Maybe you didn't even know that Jesus brings a challenging message, and that's just something to get your head around right now. What's the invitation that Jesus is offering you? It's definitely a chance to repent. There's definitely a chance to receive forgiveness today. In Psalm 103, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. But in Proverbs 29, it says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. So if we choose to remain stubborn and unrepentant, there's a cost. But the prize is the morning star Back in November, we as a family had a joy of going to Florida for a holiday and one morning I woke up at 6am just with jet lag and I just thought I really want to get down onto the beach. So I crept into my children's room who were both awake because it's 6am, they were playing on Minecraft and I asked them if they wanted to come and see the sunrise on the beach. And their faces lit up as if it was Christmas Day, the chance to get up early. So, down in our, in our pyjamas, we went down onto the beach and it was still quite dark and we watched the sky for about an hour. The beach was littered with other people who'd got up early to see it and the sun rose slowly. We had to be patient and the sky changed colour about five times and then suddenly it broke on the horizon. And the whole landscape changed as light broke through. It was piercing and it was warm. And all the other stars in the night sky faded into insignificance as the morning star rose in front of us. Jesus calls himself the morning star, the sunrise. He says to Thyatira, remain pure and hold on, and you will be given the morning star. Hold on. So how do we respond to this now? Jesus is strong on truth, and he's strong on grace. So if there's any part of you that's feeling ashamed right now, then that is not from Jesus. He convicts us, but he doesn't shame us or embarrass us. And it strikes me that Jesus didn't write this letter to one person. It's written to a whole church. And so we respond together. We respond in community. We talk about it with our friends in our small groups. We pray for each other. We repent together. And we receive forgiveness together. So I would love it if we responded a little bit now. Now, as always, if you're not in a place where you want to join in, you're very welcome to sit out, to think, to pray, whatever you want to do. But for the rest of us, could I ask you to stand, please? I'm asking us to stand because we are worth more than this. And I'd like us to say sorry together. So if you want to say sorry, then just open up your hand as a symbol for asking for Jesus' grace and forgiveness. Let's close our eyes so we're not thinking about what anyone else is doing. So if you know you've been tolerating things instead of challenging them, then open up your hand. Open up your hand if you want to say sorry for your mind, which may have wandered outside of marriage at all. Open up your hand if you want to say sorry for past sex or the way we've treated sex in the past, which isn't God's ideal. Open up your hand if you've looked at sexual images and that's impacted you or if you're a parent and we've let our children's perception of sex be stretched. Maybe you've overvalued or idolized sex in some way. Maybe it's become part of your identity. Or maybe there's something else. Just open your hand if you would like to receive God's grace. Our Father God, we stand before you with open arms, ready to repent. We are ready to say sorry. We have fallen short of your way. We have done things or thought things or idolized things or tolerated things that have got in the way of our relationship with you. We invite your Holy Spirit to be working in us, convict us of the things for which we need conviction and bring redemption for the things that need redeeming. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your grace. And we ask for your redemption so that we don't go back to old ways. And we stand in the knowledge that we are loved by you. We are understood by you. We are saved by you. We are forgiven by you. It is done. The slate is white clean sin is removed as far as the east is from the west that's how far you have removed our transgressions we are made new in your image every day and we are so thankful that you offer us a way out daily in jesus name amen